America's most controversial author, Norman Mailer, brings his best-selling novel to the screen. I just received the uh, comment cards from the first screening of my new film, Tough Guys, Don't Dance. Bold, innovative, wonderful. Stinks. Why are we talking about that? We can't let it hang out here. Where else can we? A movie not to miss. Giant death orgy with lots of maniacs. Oh, man. Oh, God. Oh, man. Something rotten has happened. One of the best and most original films I've ever seen. It was brilliant. One of the worst ever. My grandmother could do better. I agree. You agree on what? Excellent, crazy entertainment. Very funny. <laughs> Gross. Sleazy. Garbage. It was no small job. Quick turns of plot. Enjoyed having to think. And today we took a look at a movie from 1987 called Tough Guys Don't Dance. Directed by Norman Mailer, based on a book by Norman Mailer, and a screenplay written by Norman Mailer that was rewritten by the guy that wrote the script for Chinatown or part of Chinatown. Yeah. So Starring Ryan O'Neill and Isabella Rosalini and Lawrence Tierney yeah. and Wings Hauser. Yeah. So, this movie... Was a movie. Uh, is, is a movie about... Um, well, it's technically a neo-noir comedy is what it's listed as. But I don't think it's what it was intended as. No, it's a movie about uh, Ryan O'Neill's character who... Named Madden. Timothy Madden. Who gets uh, caught up in a convoluted plot involving cocaine smuggling, his ex-girlfriend slash wives, and... Uh, yeah, the, all, all three of them are like almost his ex-girlfriend's last wives. A lot of weird... And his old school chum? A lot of really Who's weird, a southern weird, dandy. Weird relationships that don't make a whole lot of sense. And some of the most stilted dialogue I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, it's... This movie uh, is actually kind of infamous. Um, it's kind of hard to talk about without getting around the fact that this movie feels like it's from a... Upside down mirror dimension, none like ours. So, watching this movie, you cannot, like, this is impression wise. It's like I said, it's just a straight, quote unquote, straightforward noir storyline. Should be, yeah. And within five minutes of the film starting, we can't tell if it's being done on purpose or not because it seems to be a parody but we don't think he intended it to be a parody yeah because a lot of the scenes are delivered a lot like naked gun scenes or like the zucker brother comedy movies without the slapstick where there's just straight dialogue delivered that's ridiculous but those are meant to be jokes and here it sounds like typical noir wannabe dialogue and i say wannabe because the lines don't make any sense a lot of the time. When the noir dialogue makes more sense in Ryan Johnson's Brick from <laughs> uh, the 2000s, and that sounds natural, and this does not sound natural? No, it doesn't sound natural at all. It... Uh, there's also a conceit where a large part of the movie is Ryan O'Neill telling a story 
and then starts telling a story within the story. Yeah, there's a flashback, and then there's flashback in a flashback. And then they come back to the regular dimension time, and then the bad guy, quote-unquote bad guy... Has a flashback, Starts too. telling a flashback within the flashback. And then our main character goes to the end, to the final confrontation of the movie, and then is apparently talking in another flashback, because he's talking to the person he was talking to originally, even though they're not in that flashback anymore, so it doesn't even make sense. That's the type of movie we're dealing with. There are things in it... Where if you stop to think about even a second, why is that here? Why are, why is it being done this way? Like, I laughed at this movie a lot. It's And it's... It's the most insane thing and I've seen. And it was life. less me laughing at it. No, less me laughing with it, but laughing at it. Because it was incredibly weird. Nothing about it made sense. It's supposed... It, like... Oh, and to clarify the ending, he did have a stroke. Okay, because... So he just randomly, arbitrarily, the bad guy had a stroke. Yeah, that that's the other thing. A lot of the... In a noir story, it's about... Usually somebody gets caught in a cycle of something gets pulled down and has to find a way out. You know, that's a typical thing. But in this movie, it's just like a bunch of things happening to this guy. Seem, seemingly at random. Narrating a letter. My husband is having an affair with your wife. I don't think we should talk about it. Unless you're prepared to kill them. Oh, man... Oh God! Oh man! Oh God! Oh man! Oh God! Oh man! Oh God! Oh man! Oh God! Yeah, that's the infamous scene from this movie, and you might see that, have seen that scene and wonder, oh man, that that must have been out of context for that movie. No, it's actually not. It's very much in context with everything else in the movie. And JD's favorite line of the movie: "Mr. Regency and I make out five times a night. That's why I call him Mr. Five. <laughs> That was me trying to do a really bad French accent because that's uh, said by Isabella Rossellini. It's the way she delivered it where she just says it and there's a brief pause. Just, that's why I call him Mr. Five. You never even said Mr. Five once in this entire movie. What, what is this even coming from? Madden, take it in your mouth or you'll die. Will you take my pride and joy into your mouth? <laughs> there's all kinds of weird lines like that. <laughs> the entire movie feels like it's, it's a noir written by somebody who's seen noir movies but has absolutely no idea why they are the way they are and just decided, yeah, this is supposed to be a noir movie, so I'm going to put it in. Um, Magic time 16 <laughs> times in a night. Not one of them was good. That's because you got no room. <laughs> Bang. That was so stupid. Like, there's a part at the end where... He had Ryan, a stroke. Ryan, Ryan O'Neill's character says to the main villain, says, your wife isn't coming. Why not? Because she's dead. And two seconds later... No, 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 no. My wife isn't coming because she's dead. And then and he's like, oh, no. And he's like freaking out. And then two seconds later, she walks into the room and he goes, oh. And he has a stroke and falls on the floor after bashing no, no, his head I, into the wall. Yeah, yeah. He bashes his head repeatedly into the wall because he's drunk and then gives himself a stroke somehow. Yeah, and then they bring him upstairs. And he wakes up and he starts rambling incoherently. But that's just normal dialogue in this movie. And then uh, he says something and gets her mad and she shoots and kills him. So, like... That's the movie, basically. I would have told them that you don't tell an Italian woman small potatoes. <laughs> Every single thing in this movie is a weird line, a weird moment, a weird choice. I'm all wrong for this kind of imbroglio. <laughs> I don't even know if we can give this movie justice for how strange and bizarre it is. How could you dig Big Stoop? Big Stoop, by the way, was played by Ben Gillette. For some reason. Because I'm crazy. This country's crazy. Madeline begins slapping Jim around. This country's crazy. I'm crazy. And then they crash the car and it destroys the room. 
Yeah, that's actual, actually a scene that happens in the movie. During the flashback of the flashback, because that was very imperative we see that happen. And this was the line I was waiting for, because this is the only line I knew from the movie. Mm-hmm. Your knife is in my dog! You know, the dog that was such a big part of the movie that we only met in the one scene? That exact scene it died in, you mean? And it was a stuffed animal? It was a stuffed animal! I had to point that out. Like, it's an actual stuffed animal. They didn't even try to hide it. Oh, man. This movie is... Like I said, this movie is absolutely... So, uh, impressions, this movie is bizarre. Like I said, you it's very hard to contextualize. It's very hard to say what the intent was. But as J.D. kept pointing out to me as we were watching it, hey, this is the first canon movie where we can trace back all the mistakes that were made with the movie. Yes, to one person. Literally one person. And that is Norman Mailer, the director, writer, and screenwriter, who is in charge of all of this. Because he made all these decisions, so he was in charge of all of yeah, them. Yeah, Robert Town, who co-wrote or uh, or the script work on Chinatown, was the uncredited writer for the film to try to make it better. Yeah, but considering the final say is still the director, it obviously didn't matter much because he's just going to do what he wants anyway. And clearly he did. Because there is not a performance in this movie that doesn't feel like it's from an alternate flip down mirror dimension. Not a single one. Everything is delivered weird. Everything is backwards, obscure, strange. And it's it feels like it's trying to be straightforward, but it's not. It's like slightly crooked in everything they say. So you're trying to puzzle it out while they're already moving to the next scene. Like, what did that line mean? What? That... That comparison doesn't make any sense. What did the, what? Who? Who's this guy? What's his name? What? Then they call him something else. What? Yeah. <laughs> it's the whole movie. I... So so uh, let me just read. Uh, so we, we still haven't given the plot like a very good explanation here. There's nothing really to. Get. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna read it directly from IMDb because it actually makes it a little bit more sense and makes it go oh, okay. This sounds like a straight boiled noir film which is writer ex-con and 40-something bottle baby tim madden bottle baby really he's an alcoholic uh (laughs) who is prone to blackouts awakens from a two-week bender to discover a pool of blood in his car yeah that's that's the inciting incident but most of this movie is told through uh tim telling his father a story very poorly so i guess he wasn't a very good writer was he what and the thing you should also mention about what you just said is that 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 part that's set up that's the only part of the movie that makes sense Nothing else does. Remember the part of the movie where he meets his old friend from school that was his his, uh, his wife's ex-husband? The guy who talks uh, like Gilbert from King of the Hill? The one who talks like a southern dandy. Yes, uh, for some reason. And suddenly got himself the druthers for killing people with a gun. Here's... He, he has him hug, hug him and he he puts the gun to his heart and shoots himself. He, he Literally, I'm sitting there like, After oh, don't minute. tell me he's going to kill himself. It's like, oh, will you put, put, put sand over me afterwards? That's, no, no, he just takes his body and dumps him in the water at the end of the movie. That's the weird part about the movie. Like, calling it, like, complex or convoluted is not correct because we called several things that happened before they even happened. So clearly we still knew what was happening. It's just the way it was done is the most backward, strange way of doing it. I have no idea if this movie was intentionally supposed to be a comedy. I don't think it was because of the way the things were delivered. As I said, when you think of a comedy like this, you think of, like... Naked Gun or Airplane, which one of the flashbacks reminded me of Airplane. But they're always done in a way where when the delivery happens, there's like a sort of jocularity, I guess, to the dialogue where you get a hint, oh, obviously this is tongue-in-cheek at the very least. Or at least this is obviously ridiculous, but not the way these people talk. It's just like it's trying to be noir dialogue 
but it doesn't make sense. And if you want it to be funny, it still has to make sense to be funny, at least at some capacity, because there's several times where they were making comparison. I had to stop and think, what? That doesn't make sense. Like, what, what was one of them? Uh, your door without with only one hinge. And no, I, I am a do- I, no, I am a door with only one hinge. And it's like, okay. So, or how about the time where he goes, I crossed the bridge tonight after they literally killed somebody and crossed the bridge? Yes, I crossed the bridge with someone tonight. And then somebody else, the other person said it again later. Because, like, we needed to hear that twice. After she tore her shirt open so they could have sex on the drug stash with the heads in it. Because if that's supposed to be funny, that's not a funny joke. It's just awkward. And that's the movie. This whole movie is awkward, the movie. It's really, really awkward. And it feels like it's written, again, by somebody who wanted to either write a noir or make something noirish, but didn't really understand what makes a noir movie. Actually kind of felt like a student film a little bit. I, ha- I have seen a couple of places already, like as I'm doing my uh, perfunctory research, my early research, just they're like, yeah, this is Norman Mailer's worst novel. Mm-hmm. I can see why. <laughs> so he chose to adapt for canon his worst novel and somehow put out this movie, which he yeah. played seriously up until the point people started heckling it and laughing in this test screenings and then said, no, no, it's, I, I was in, it's an intentional parody. Even though canon themselves... Canon of all companies are saying, this is a bad idea. You shouldn't do this. Oh, you mean the oh man, oh god, oh man scene where they told him, no, you shouldn't, you should cut that and not They literally told him not to put that in the movie. Canon films told them not to do that. And even the main actor said, I don't like that. Please don't put that in the movie. And he put it in the movie, even though it was awful. That's pretty much this movie. As I said, um, every actor in this movie I've seen in other things, and they're usually good. But the performances in here, I could tell if it was done by a better director would probably be a lot better. But because it's done the way they're done, they all come off as awkward. Every single person. Not a single person in this movie sounds good at any point. No, and it's some of the... And and I'll keep going to the bad dialogue. It's some of the most hackneyed dialogue I've ever heard. It is very. And a lot of it is very on the nose. And again, if you want that to be funny, okay, but it has to be funny. Not just... Haha, <laughs> that's on the nose and it's funny. No, it has to be funny. Yeah, it was literally a case of, huh, okay, I think you're doing that on purpose? Except it's almost Maybe. every single line where they're like, like, this is my motivation. What's your motivation? My motivation is now this. What's your motivation for my new motivation? Oh, that's my motivation? I'm going to shoot you. That's a scene. JD, within, fi- <laughs> within five seconds of the movie beginning... The father, played by Lawrence Tierney, Dougie, explains why the movie is called Tough Guys Don't Dance. Because of course he does. Apropos of nothing. Usually when you have a title like that that's obscure, it has to have something to do like late in the story where it's just kind of tangentially related to, 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 to sum up the whole theme. It's usually not just spelled out like, yeah, you know what? This is a blood sport. Welcome to a blood sport in the first five seconds of blood sport. That, that's what this is. Bloodsport has more subtlety than this. That's saying something. Also phenomenal editing by the, by hand. Much um, better than this. Jean-Claude Van Damme. Uh, no, actually, actually, cinematography and editing were pretty well Well, the cinematography was great. That was the best part of the movie, without a, without a doubt. Um, the film... The film I made was, you come 16 times in one night. Like the, the seaside town they used, Provincetown? Yeah. looks really, really nice. And um, there's all kinds of really good shots, especially the first, like... The credit sequence where they uh, they show nature and they come into the town. It's really nice. It's really nice until somebody speaks. 
Yeah, which happens within a couple of seconds of the movie after he stumbles out of bed drunk with a freaking crowbar to go brain his father, who, by the way, is dying of cancer, at, as we as it's revealed early on. <laughs> Do you have the cure for cancer, son? Which, again, is another part of this movie is superfluous because it doesn't come into play at any point, so it might as well not even be there. IMDB. You know how, how I love the tags they put on these movies? Mm-hmm. Let me read it. I don't know which way to read it because it's really funny either way. So starting from the top, their top tag for this is trash. Second tag, gay. Third tag, writer. Fourth tag, police chief. And fifth tag, cancer. And there's 37 more tags after that. This is lens the randomness in this movie because a lot of that could apply to this movie because it's so weird. And the taglines is a story of how dangerous love can be. What was that scene in the beginning where he takes the woman and says, I'm going to have sex with her right in front of you. And then he has sex right in front of her and the guy's just crying for some reason. <laughs> and that's the inciting incident. And he goes, why won't you listen to what I have to say? <laughs> it's just like, what? what? Why is this even happening? And that's, that's pretty much the the entire plot of the movie, is why is any of this happening? Because there isn't really any inciting incident. There's just, like, a, things happening in the background, and they decide, yeah, let's pin this guy to it. And that's it. That's pretty much it. Like I said, the, the main character doesn't really do a whole lot. He just goes somewhere, something happens to him, and he just goes somewhere else, and something happens to him. That's it. This is like, oh, my God. I don't even know what else to say. <laughs> so, what's your highlight of the film? It's the cinematography. It's the best. Lo- it's the best looking uh, movie we've seen in a while. I said we watched the Restoration Vinegar Syndrome put out, uh, and it really, really shows how, how nice the place looks. Like you get to see the beach, you get to see the waves on the deck. It's really nice. Even like they're when they're over the the, the water at one point, you see the, the fog on the water. All that stuff looks really nice. Even the scenes inside the town. It's obviously it's because it's it's Provincetown, so it's obviously Maine. It's, it's like it's near Boston. Yeah, it's really uh, nice. And and you get that 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 sort of Maine look to it. Yes, it's very it's a very good good looking movie. Provincetown also also referred to as Helltown throughout the film. Uh, also, there's this weird subcurrent of the supernatural, but not really because there was a seance once, and there's something about Ghost of the Hookers, and then the end of the movie begins it gets really creepy for some reason at and the, the last scene ends. yeah oh, which God. like if you wanted the supernatural element you could have played into that a lot more than that which again i don't know what the intent was because it doesn't feel like there was much of an intent it feels like like again i said someone trying to make something they had no idea how to make that's what this whole thing comes off as so what were your my highlight was the dialogue because that's also my low light because some of that dialogue is the best while some of that dialogue is the worst dialogue is something else in this movie <laughs> once if you start if you don't take this movie seriously it has the best dialogue if you're watching this movie going this is supposed to be a serious movie it has the worst dialogue because if you're trying to understand it you can't humans do not talk like this it's it's so bizarre like if you're just sitting there and you're like okay this is a this is a noir movie i want to pay attention to the plot you can't do that it's ryan impossible. o'neill once commented on the film's screenplay the lines were very natural very easy to say we could hear our thoughts very clearly it was as if we were drawing from the same well uh-huh. i'm sure because it does not feel that way when you hear it 
He says as he has a gun held to his head by Wardsley the <laughs> Third. <laughs> and he just says, "Do you like me a little?" That's literally the line. Yeah, yeah. Do you no, like no, me no, a no. little? For some reason, because they were, they, and we never got the full backstory behind that. Because apparently they were both kicked out of Exeter when there, they were younger, but we don't get the explanation of why they were kicked out. There's a lot of stuff like that that is not explained. It's just like, yeah, this is the thing. Remember how many times when they would walk into a scene and he talked to somebody, he's like, "Oh yeah, you're this person. This is the backstory. Oh yeah, my wife's backstory was this, and that's exactly how it happens." The creepy bartender from the ho- the motel, mm-hmm. where he just shows up at his house like. Do you know why their car is still in my parking lot? It feels almost like Twin Peaks, that part. Like, what, what? As he stands there in the rain. With his with his wide eyes and everything. And he's like, okay. And he walks away while it's raining on him. Like, okay, I would like that car removed from my parking lot. If you could find them and let them know. Thank you. <laughs> so stupid. No humans <laughs> talk like this! Yeah, the, the whole movie, like I said, for me, the, the low light is just the general coherence the fact that I can't understand anything that's happening at any point is really annoying. Yeah, the movie is hard to follow. Even though the plot is not complex. It's not convoluted. You know everything that happened, why it happened, but the dialogue doesn't make that easy, the editing doesn't make that easy, or the directing doesn't make that easy. I think we already talked about this, but there was a point where we were out of the actual story, tell, like him telling the story, and I couldn't tell if he was telling the story anymore, or if he was, yes. if we were still within a flashback, or if we were, if he was yes. telling the story, like removed again from it, like, was he telling the story to us, because he started talking to Dougie over a scene, and I'm like, what the hell is going which, on? Which he already stopped doing previously in the movie, so that feels like an error, but who knows if that was an error. That's the movie. Like I said, if if you're looking for a serious noir movie, this movie's probably gonna really make you mad because it does it does not it does not work. It does not work. And I think we might as well just roll it over into your score, Andy. You gonna give this? I get it a three. You gonna give it a three? It's like I recommend it purely based on camp value, purely based on. Uh, curiosity it's like it is a weird flipping movie it's it's Mm -hmm. one of the strangest things put out by canon that i have seen and i've seen ninja 3 the domination i've seen the apple and those are more coherent i've seen deep cut because it wasn't released by them in in north america Mm -hmm. big they they released big big is technically (laughs) a canon film did you know that probably yeah i think i'd also give it a three like i said if you're looking at this as a bizarre, like, I don't want to say uh, missing, like, underrated gem or anything like that. Oh, it's no. Not. But if you're looking for a bizarre movie, like, if you like noir movies and you want to see something weird that you don't want to take seriously because you can't take this movie seriously. If you just want to see something bizarre that you haven't seen before, if you like those type of movies, if you like noirs. Support would, Vinegar Syndrome and buy a copy. I would say watch this movie because it is... It's, it's probably something worth watching more than once because of how bizarre it is. But it, it still doesn't hold together. It's not like a Miami connection where as weird as it is, it holds together and transcends it. That doesn't happen here. It is what it is. I, I literally finished watching this movie going, I think I have to rewatch it with the commentary. Yeah, it's one of those movies. And like I said, in, unless you take this movie deathly serious, you probably won't hate it. <laughs> but you're not going to love it. Let's put it that way. Yeah, it's it's not a great movie, but it's no. also not an awful movie. No, it's just it's a it's, misfire. It's unintentionally hilarious. Yes, it's a misfire. There's 
There's no other way to put it other than it's a misfire. The director slash screenplay writer slash author. It's one of those movies that you can say it's it's so bad that it's good. I guess you could say that, but I would never call it good. <laughs> Even ironically, I would say if you just want something to make to make you question reality itself, like what is happening? Is this? Am I living in real life? Right now, Tim Tim Madden is telling the story of us talking about the movie. Yeah, might as well because it would make as much sense. Uh, and uh, like I said, I said, I would recommend it overall, but just know what you're getting into. Isn't Tim Madden the name of one of the uh, the brothers from uh, Good Charlotte? I think I think so, actually. Huh, weird. I, I that sorry for the aside. It just popped in my head. I think it might have been. Yeah. I'm actually kind of delirious after watching this movie. Yeah. <laughs> so we might as well call it here. All right, everybody. We'll see you next time when we continue our cruise through the Canon catalog. Or should we say the cruise through the Vinegar Syndrome Kino Larber catalog? Because I feel like that's where everything is coming from now. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, we don't even decide what we have next. We just pick random ones. All right, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>